so I'm here. This is uh, Barrett Leslie with Ball Links. I'm here with uh, Garrett Lisi, a theoretical physicist who lives uh, in Maui and has a simple uh, theory of everything, which he uses the E8 uh, to define, uh, to connect quantum gravity, basically a theory of everything. I'll let him explain it better. Um, oh, hey, Barrett. <laughs> how you doing, yeah. Garrett? Oh, great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. Um, so, so when you say simple, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I, it's I, relative. I, I, I feel the necessity to, to point out that uh, that simple was being used in a technical mathematical way. Okay. It's simple in the sense that it doesn't uh, separate naturally into other things. It's not simple in the sense of not being complicated. Okay, so it it, it, it applies directly to a mathematical concept or some type of algebra that's right or, that's right okay. so in in uh, in mathematics the the mathematical geometric structures i'm using are called lie groups yeah and they're basically little knots of high dimensional geometry and uh, you can classify all the different um structures that you can make this way uh, by basically twisting sets of circles around one another and when you say that one of these structures is simple, it means it can't be easily detangled and separated into two separate knots, right? That's just one consistent thing. Okay, I got you. So it's, it's, it's just that it's, it's simple in the sense that it's not complex with multiple knots. That's right. It can't be factored into okay. others. Okay, I got you. So, it's not like <laughs> so, so, so very often... Uh, you know, you'll use a technical term, and pretty much the only person who knows what it means is the person using it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, in science, a lot of people throw around, or in, not in science, people throw around the term theory. You know, and it's not. A right. Yeah. That that gets into trouble because you know people will say, "Oh, yeah, that's just a theory." It's like, well, <laughs> it's a theory with a lot of experimental support and confidence behind it. So, um, at that point, you start trusting your life to theories with that much uh, behind them. And, you know, so the colloquial use of theory, you know, can mean something without a lot of confidence in it. Whereas in science, having a theory can be very different or it can mean almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it depends who's using it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, could you tell me a little bit about uh, your work and what you're currently doing uh, with uh, the theory? Certainly. Well, um I actually started out less ambitious than I ended up. So I started out back in graduate school just being frustrated uh, because I really, really loved Einstein's theory of general relativity, his geometric description of gravity as a warping four-dimensional fabric. And that this was a, a, a wonderful description to me because the, the mathematics is very rich and interesting. And also it's a very sort of natural geometric description where you're describing something in terms of a a bending four-dimensional surface. And I thought this was just a wonderful description of gravity. And then I went further into particle physics and I started seeing how the other particles were described. And the other forces do have a geometric description. Um, it's not as simple as the description for gravity, but they do have a geometric description. But uh, things like electrons and quarks and the matter particles just did not, not at all. Uh, they had a description in terms of matrices transforming, you know, under rotations and so forth. But it was just, it, it was clearly a very different beast. And I found that very dissatisfying. I figured if the universe is just one thing, then there has to be a similarly geometric description for electrons. And it's just a matter of figuring out what that is. And, the, and string theorists thought they had the answer for what that was, but they were just putting everything in by hand that was any good and, and the stuff they were coming out of getting out of the theory that wasn't put in by hand didn't match reality. So, so, so it bothered you that it was just equations and it wasn't like a structure. No, I love equations. I'm a mathematician, but I, I want, I want equations in the same field. I want equations in the same area, right? If, so if you have, if you have the geometric equations of gravity, right, where you're talking about curvature and, uh, you know, and, and connections, and these geometric objects, and basically you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, warping fabrics and flows of vector fields. Those are very geometric things. But then you go into particle physics, and you're talking about matrices and how matrices transform. And uh, it's a whole different area of mathematics. 
but the universe has to be just one bit of mathematics, in my opinion. And so there had to, there had to be something, some way of describing an electron that was much more compatible with gravity. And nobody knew what it was, as far as I could tell. Okay. And that was back, that was back in the late 90s. So, so this is the problem I was working on. And when I went around to talk to people about working on it, nobody else was interested. Nobody else even thought there was a problem here. Right, because the, you can you can match up the description of matter with gravity consistently to some degree, and that was good enough for most people. But uh, it didn't seem to bother people that everything was being put in by hand, and it didn't all seem to be part of one geometric structure, which is what I wanted reality to be. <laughs> okay, so when you say putting it in by hand, I'm not I'm not fully understanding what you mean by by that. All right, so. So for gravity, it's very naturally described as a, as a curving fabric, right? Yep. And you can add dimensions to that fabric. So you can go from a four-dimensional fabric up to a five-dimensional fabric, you know, seven-dimensional, however high you want. And you can curl up some of those dimensions. And by doing that, you can actually get a description of the other known forces. You can get a description of electromagnetism, the weak force, the strong force, all by just expanding the same equations of gravity, but expand them with by adding more dimensions that you let curl up. And if you let the same equations describe the same system, you'll naturally get uh, automatically, without adding anything by hand, you'll get the equations of motion for those force fields, as well as equations for gravity, which is great. The problem is there's nothing you can add in the same geometric way right, where it would sort of naturally give you a description of electrons or quarks or neutrinos. It just doesn't work. So what you have to do is you have to go in there and sort of, you know what electrons are supposed to be, so you can, you can sort of glue this electron description onto the gravitational and force description. And it's just as ugly as, <laughs> as I'm describing. Okay. Right when you when you glue this on, it just it it's sticking out in a funny way, and it just doesn't want to be there, and it's not described even with the same uh, sort of mathematics. It's just not. Uh, it's obviously not mathematically compatible. It's not one thing. So this was uh, this is a problem, and so I, I I set off looking for a geometric description, and uh, I was not satisfied with the string theory approach to this, which was just more of the same. Uh, and I had gotten lucky with my investments, so I said, screw it, I'm going to move to Maui, surf a lot, maybe learn how to windsurf, and uh, work on the physics I want to while I live off my uh, investment savings and not spend very much money, because you know I've been a graduate student for eight years at that point, and I was used to not spending money. <laughs> so I, I came out here to Hawaii, and I started working on the problem on my own. Okay, so it wasn't and, it wasn't like this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna solve this thing. I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna do this thing. We just kind of got in there and started uh, going through it. And came. yeah, I mean, I started I started out being good at mathematics, and I, I loved tackling uh, the puzzles of how the universe works using mathematics. And I was always a good student, but uh, it was really you know I, I got uh, enchanted with Einstein's theory of gravity. And I wanted it, or something like it, to be able to describe everything. And the one thing it couldn't describe well was electrons. And we did have a good description of electrons. It just didn't match up right. So I wanted to fix that. I wanted to figure out, oh, what's the solution here? There's got to be one. So I spent years on that. I spent like five years with these extra dimensions and trying to see how electrons could be added in the context of having these extra dimensions. So it would work, and just nothing worked. And I, it was about... It was about eight years in when I said, all right, I'm going about this wrong. And since I was just a, you know, a guy off on an island, I didn't have students depending on me. I didn't have grants. I didn't have anything uh, holding me down. I basically wiped the slate clean and said, all right, what if we look at it instead of from the point of view of gravity? What if we look at it from the point of view of the other forces? So instead of adding extra dimensions to gravity and using that to describe forces, I describe the other forces are described with these objects called Lie groups, and by adding the right Lie group, you can actually get a description of gravity. And now it turns out that the description of electrons and quarks is fairly natural in terms of Lie groups. 
Um, you can you can add representations of Lie groups. You can add uh, see how electrons uh, interact with Lie groups, and that's that's a uh, that's a more natural description than trying to tack them onto gravity in extra dimensions. And so I, I, I set down this path, and it was it was only a few months, maybe probably not even a year. I I, had, I had assembled a description of matter compatible with Lie groups with gravity in it, um, all as one thing, and it, it was unusually coherent. And at that point. Um, there was a private foundation that put out a request for proposals for grants. So I applied for, for grants. This helped my research and things were far enough along and looking uh, sufficiently good that they gave me a grant. So I got a research grant to work on that, and uh, which was great because it gave me more time to surf, didn't have to work. <laughs> um, I could just uh, spend my time surfing and working on this research. So I kept going on the research, and at that point, I, uh, I moved to Lake Tahoe, and I was staying in a friend's uh, ski cabin. And this, this structure I had put together of matter and interacting with the forces, interacting with gravity, was unusually coherent. So I started to wonder, well, this is so coherent. I wonder if it's just one thing or part of just one larger thing. So I started looking at what it might be part of. And it turns out that I hadn't seen these before, but there are these exceptional Lie groups that just naturally include exactly the structure I had put together. It exactly includes the interaction of matter particles, electrons and quarks within the Lie group itself, all as one thing. So who, who showed you the Lie groups? Uh, there was a, a blog post by a mathematician named John Baez. Okay. Was it those guys right. in Michigan or? Uh, no, he's, um, he wanders around quite a bit. I think he's mostly based in Riverside, but he also spends quite a bit of time in Singapore. Okay. But he, he wanders around quite a bit. He's quite a well-known mathematician, and he's uh, he has quite a well-known blog. So, uh, you know, I, I knew of it, and I was, was familiar with a lot of it. But I hadn't. You, you don't you don't see these specific exceptional Lie groups in physics. They're they're exceptional in that they they are sta they stand out as being different than the other Lie groups, and they're almost never used in physics. But, uh, but it turns out they have exactly the structure I was looking for, and it was just a, a perfect match of the known matter particles into this uh, larger, simple, exceptional Lie group, which is pretty fantastic. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, that's, that's usually, like, big advances in physics and various fields of science. Usually there's some crazy abstract mathematics that was invented, you know, 30 or how many ever years previously, and then there's no use for it other than math. Yeah, it's it's exactly like that, yeah. and it's. I mean, where we're at, uh, the mathematics very often leads the theoretical physics research, and and because the mathematicians are sort of exploring the mathematical territory without regard to reality, right? They're not constrained by, <laughs> by, by reality, by, but by reality, yeah. but but sure enough, um, physicists in trying to figure out how to describe reality end up pulling from these mathematical tools and these mathematical discoveries, and sure enough. It seems it almost seems like the the prettier the mathematics is that's discovered, the more more likely it's going to find use in describing physics. <laughs> it really seems that way. So anyway, yeah. So I um, after encountering these Lie groups, uh, I was extremely excited and uh, started writing up papers about it, talking about it at conferences, and it got a bunch of attention. Um, but since my theory was a a, uni a proposal for a unified theory. And it didn't have any strings in it. It really pissed off the string theorists. <laughs> so they were they were some of my harshest critics. They were trying to tear me down as best they could. And in my opinion, they went about it a little bit unethically, but uh, but effectively. And uh, so I'm back to being this guy on an island working on stuff. <laughs> okay. So there's uh, so there's not much support for it in the in the theoretical physics community or. Is it? Well, it's certainly it's certainly known, yeah. and uh, and there is a small group of people working on it and on related things. Um, but there's not a, a large research program in this direction, even ten years later. No, it's yeah. mostly still me working on this. Okay, so do you, so do you go to conferences and things like that and present? It to I do. Them? I I go to conf workshops, conferences. Um, I've even hosted a couple of workshops here. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm running a, a small science institute here on the island of Maui. Uh, currently running it out. Of, I've got uh, my house and a few guest cabins on a nice piece of land with a nice view where I uh, host visiting scientists and friends, uh, which has been great. It's called the Pacific Science Institute. And we've had a couple workshops here. 
uh, on related stuff. So that's been very productive. Um, but for the most part, I work on my own. Okay. And mostly, mostly what I'm doing is so this uh, this match I found it wasn't perfect. All right. So the 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 two things that were missing is one is there aren't just electrons and up and down quarks and electron neutrinos. There are also uh, two other generations of matter particles that are only really seen in particle accelerators. Right. So as well as the electron, you have a, a higher energy partner called the muon, and then a, a third high energy partner called the tau. And every matter particle has these three copies like this, where it's they have the same properties, they only differ by having larger masses. Okay. And this is a big mystery in particle physics, is why, why are there three copies? And I saw a hint in this E8 Lee group of why there are three copies, but it never really worked perfectly, right? So it had, uh, it just didn't seem to want to work right. And I, I knew there was something I was missing, I didn't know what it was, so that's, I've been looking for that. The other issue is, even though it's a, a mathematical match of the geometric structure, um, it does not include, the, the geometry itself does not include the description of quantum mechanics. So, uh, and this is, this is something nobody goes for because it's too weird or too hard. But ideally what one would like to find is a quantum description of reality that is also geometric in the same way that gravity is. So that's, and this is something that, uh, as far as I know, almost nobody has looked for or tried to achieve. Um, there's some people, um, uh, Tehuft is, you know, he works on models of quantum mechanics that are a little bit more in this direction. But, uh, but what, I'm, what I'm describing would be a matchup between geometry and quantum physics, such that the quantum physics is a very, very uh, sort of integral part of it. And that's, that's, this is what I've been working on for the last year or so. So it's uh, it's been exciting. Okay, so maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that. So uh, could you give me a basic overview of that model of how? I mean, I, I kind of understand the E eight structure to to yes to to a degree, you know. Uh, right. I understand. I understand what the model looks like, you know, because I built the the E eight model and looked at it and understand. Right. Well, that's this is actually a so those root diagrams that result in the various uh, structural models of it, you know, where you put together the 240 points yeah. and project it in various ways to get various geometric objects that uh, represent the Lie group. Uh, those those are basically their higher dimensional diagrams of the smooth geometric structure of the Lie group. Okay. So you have um, and, smooth, I, and, and by smooth, are you or is that some mathematical term? I'm over. It is a mathematical term, but it, it means the, the usual thing, which is, you know, it doesn't have any cusps in it okay. or corners or, or, or singularities or anything like that. It's a, it's a smooth, high-dimensional surface. Okay. So, so these diagrams are, are actually a way of describing uh, the twists and turns of this surface in high dimensions. Um, so the diagrams themselves don't have a physical existence since they're just diagrams. Okay. But but we think that uh, our universe is the physical instantiation of one of these uh, warping high-dimensional smooth objects. If this sort if this sort of description is correct. Okay. So. So then. Now go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I I have a a, a thing that you said on that. Sure. Um, so you said it's just a diagram, right? So it's not. It's not the physical object that is these point particles in an eight-dimensional space. Right. Right. It's it's a mathematical representation. That's right. Okay. And, and you know, I think I've asked you this in the past years ago, and it's just a question that I've asked uh, many people, is these descriptions are higher-dimensional. Because, like, a higher-dimensional matrice is just straightforward. It just, you know, you just put more rows and columns in there, right? Um, yeah, and that gives you dimensions and mathematically, and that's straightforward. But a physical space, which some theoretical physicists claim, is that's a whole other thing, right? Right. And so, in your model, is it both? Is it one? Is it the other? Is it unknown? Is it? Well, you 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 basically you do add and consider additional physical 
dimensions to space. So there, there are different directions that theoretically one could move in. But within these Lie groups, since these Lie groups are symmetric, when you, when you move in one of those directions, which we do all the time, you don't notice any difference. There's no change. So that's, that's why it's called a symmetry. Okay. Symmetry is something that when you, when you move that way, nothing changes. Okay. So, uh, so when you add these extra dimensions, there, there's, no, there's nothing that changes about the model. But what happens is uh, when you consider how things can move in these other dimensions and interact, what you get is you do get effects that are measurable in our four dimensions, our four-dimensional space-time. Okay. And these, in fact, are just exactly the forces and particles that we see interacting. Okay. All right. These are these are a result of things happening in, in higher dimensions, which is which is kind of cool. And they and in a physicist's mind, these are physical dimensions. We just can't you know we can't walk in that dimension. Yeah. Right. Because it, and if we did, we wouldn't notice any difference. So effectively, we're not going anywhere, uh, except we are, but nothing's changing. <laughs> okay. It's. It... But. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It, I mean, at least you're attempting to answer it. Most people I ask just basically give me some horseshit and move on. But uh, yeah, no, that's... no, no. It's an interesting question. So, uh, and then you know, this does correspond to mathematically there being more degrees of freedom, more variables, you know, more columns and rows to your matrices uh, to to describe this sort of higher dimensional geometry. Yeah, I understand it. I understand it mathematically, uh, you know, to a degree, uh, but. The concept that there's a physical uni- uh, a physical uh, space of higher dimensions is, I mean, I'm, I'm super fascinated by that, that we could actually measure a higher dimensional space at some point. Um, well, I mean, we are. I mean, if you, uh, when you look in, you take four-dimensional space, right? Okay. And you add just one dimension, and you say, okay, what happens if this extra dimension I've added can curve around? And what you get is you get electric and magnetic fields interacting. Okay, so so the fifth dimension would contain uh, electromagnet uh, the electromagnetic force. It's not that it would contain it. It's that it's that its behavior would manifest itself as electric and magnetic forces. So we, you know, historically we're in, living in three dimensional space, moving through time, yeah. and historically we we discover, oh hey, there are these electric fields, there are these magnetic fields. And then Maxwell says, hey, they're, they're the same thing. They're just different aspects of the same electromagnetic field. And then Einstein comes along and says, well, actually, space-time isn't a, a flat thing. It's a four-dimensional warping fabric. And then uh, Kluze and Klein come along and say, hey, well, if you add just one-fifth dimension, you get not only the four-dimensional fabric, but you get from this fifth-dimensional fabric if you constrain it in a certain way, you get the four-dimensional fabric of gravity and electromagnetism in four dimensions. Okay. So there's a direct correspondence. There's a direct correspondence between uh, warping five-dimensional space and four-dimensional space with electromagnetic fields in it. Okay, and then uh, to extend that, does that correspond to, like, say, uh, the sixth is... Uh, nuclear or weak or it's it's almost that simple so you 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 add another three for the weak and you add another eight for the strong dimensions yes okay so that'd give you what like 16 or something yeah up to 12 or so okay well four no okay no it's not it's not quite that simple so um yeah so you have you have have 12 for the forces you have one for magnetism three for weak Eight for strong. All right, so that's 12. And then, yeah, 16 if you're going to add four for space-time. But it doesn't usually work that way because you also have to consider rotations in space-time. Okay. So for rotations in four-dimensional space-time, you have the three dimensions of rotation of space, but you also have three rotations in time, right, which are basically going at different speeds in, different, in three different directions. Okay. So you, you have to add in those six, and so now we're up to like 22 or so. Okay. And remember, but that's just for the forces. Yeah. Now, now you have to figure out every single ma- matter particle, mm-hmm. including matter particles of different types. All have to correspond to a different direction. So that's you know, and now if you count different generations, we're up in over a hundred. Okay. And so this is how you get the two forty six, or is that uh, or uh, two hundred forty eight? Yeah. 48. So so you you keep adding these things, and you know maybe you add another sixty four to your 
or 22 or 24 or whatever we were at. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you get up around a hundred and then, and then that hundred, that set of a hundred fits inside this E8 league group okay. as directions inside the E8 league group. And the way we know that it's a match is because, uh, we look at the geometry of these particles. So like an, an electron or a quark will have electric charges. It'll also have a weak charge and strong charge and it'll have spin. Okay. So these are all charges. These, these numbers come out of the geometry. These charges correspond exactly to the twists inside the geometry. Okay. And so what we're doing is we're, we're, we're finding an exact match of, of this uh, geometric description of particle physics with the, this specific E8 Lie group. So there's an exact match there. And that's what, that's what I found so exciting back in 2008. Um, but like I said, there are a couple missing things. So you can't the, the charges of the second and third generation particles uh, don't match up perfectly in an obvious way. Um, there's a couple hints for non-obvious ways they might match up, but the uh, it doesn't it doesn't clearly work. And then there's also uh, how do you include quantum physics? Okay. So if we're including including quantum physics, uh, basically look okay well, how do you how do you describe quantum mechanics? Okay, well, there's one way, which is you know Schrodinger's equation and the wave function. But the the, the first way uh, was actually with uh, with matrices and algebraically, where you have momentum and position and an algebra between momentum and position. Okay. And you look at that algebra, and it's a it's a Lie algebra, and you can make a Lie group out of that algebra. It's called uh, that's convenient. You know, it was yeah, so it was it was Heisenberg. Yeah. who had this description of quantum mechanics. And so there's this Lie group called the Heisenberg Lie group. Okay. I, I studied a little bit of it, but never the Lie group. I mean, you All right. So then, so then what I've been playing with is how to, uh, how, how this sort of Heisenberg Lie group naturally combines with these other Lie groups to make uh, larger ones. And so, so if the universe is all one thing, it's uh, likely to be one of those. Okay. So, so, let me, so that's the next phase that you're in. You're in this phase of trying to understand it uh, or connect it to uh, quantum gravity, right? Am I using that term right? Quantum yeah. gravity. Yeah, uh, that's right. Using these Lie group equations, and then you have Lie groups and Lie groups connecting gravity to quantum gravity. And then what would that mean for like the theoretic? Because you said no one's really doing this. Uh, what, right. What would that mean for theoretical physics? If it was um, well, it would, it would it would really be a theory of everything because most theory of everything is technically a theory of everything means you're just combining gravity with the other forces in okay. your description. That's what the technical meaning of theory of everything is. But really, that's not entirely satisfying because you also want a description of quantum mechanics. Okay. So if if this thing works out, you'd have gravity combined with the other forces. But you also have a description of all the matter particles, and it would naturally include quantum physics as part of its structure. Okay. So yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm currently after. Okay. So what do you do like each day to to achieve that? Like, what do you do each day to achieve the goal of um, figuring that? More out? math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, pour, so pouring. So you don't like yourself that much, or no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I, I pour through the mathematical literature because the mathematicians are always out ahead. And um, I, I, I read up on stuff that other physicists probably missed. Okay. Because I think, especially with, uh, with most of the high-energy physics community going off into string theory, um, I think they missed a lot of interesting mathematics from the past, uh, even from the past 30 years. Because they just went down this this path and the funding was in the yeah path. they're off in their string theory world and they say, I mean it used to be that for a while mathematics and physics were pretty tightly linked yeah and it was quite a fruitful collaboration but the these strength theorists sort of went off in their own direction and said ah oh, no we'll we'll make up our own mathematics and uh, and blaze our own trail and the mathematicians said yeah have fun and they <laughs> they kept doing working on their mathematics that they thought was interesting. Yeah. And it turns out, I think that the mathematics that the mathematicians were working on, just because it was interesting, I think that's the stuff that's actually going to end up describing the real world, not strength theory. Okay. So, 
So a little bit more about that. So like your, your critics would say that uh, your theory doesn't conform to their accepted theories like string theory, right? And in the past, you haven't, uh, you know, you didn't follow the traditional path that it's accepted in the community where you work your way up, you get the tenure. Uh, and you didn't, in the beginning, didn't publish directly in like accepted scholarly journals and things like that. That's right. I didn't, uh, you know, it's a publisher perished world, and I sort of voluntarily perished early on, but kept working in the field. Okay. And, uh, you know, and you still have these problems with the, you still have these problems with connecting. That's right. But I mean, these, these problems with the second and third generations not matching up within the Lee group um, were identified in, you know, every paper I've ever published on the subject, including the ones that got all the press attention. So if you go and read those papers, you can say, and you know, and although this is a, a, a good match for the first generation, the second and third generations don't, don't work right. And that requires more study. So it's not, it's not like I'm trying to hide anything or pull a fast one. It's a, it's a proposal for, it's an interesting observation of a mathematical match and a proposal to, for where to go from there. And uh, I'm perfectly happy to, to be following that up. But no, what the critics did is they, they did two things. One is uh, they took the problems of the theory, which I had identified it, and uh, they proclaimed that because of these problems, it could never work. All right? So that's one thing they did. The other thing they did is uh, they took part of the geometric structure that I was working with, and where that that part of Lee group had a, a fairly traditional interpretation in high energy physics, where these uh, these other this other structural part was called mirror fermions in the physics literature historically, uh, they did something weird, which is they instead of calling them mirror fermions, which had been considered for many many years. Uh, they called him an anti-generation and said because of this anti-generation, which is this really weird thing, the theory can never work. But that's that's very misleading. I mean, uh, physicists encountered mirror mirror fermions before, encountered this mirror matter before, and there there are different methods for dealing with it. And it's certainly not something that's ever been considered absolutely impossible or deal-breaking for a theory. There there are techniques for for dealing with them. So, so uh, I think it was uh, borderline unethical the way the critical critics handled the situation and managed to shut any interest in this theory down by uh, by misleading their the people they were talking to. Okay, so I mean, the the way I'm understanding is there's a fixed scientific community. They have a lot of money invested in a particular theory. I mean, they've built a lot of equipment and, you know, invested how many millions or I don't know how much money uh, to research grants and... Yeah, know. but I mean, theorists, theorists are cheap. I mean, the, the there's this joke that the, the reason the battles in academia are so fierce is because the stakes are so small, <laughs> right? There's not a lot of money involved in theoretical physics. It's all prestige. Um, it's not even really prestige. I mean, you're, you're sort of battling for the interest of other intelligent people and students. Okay. So string, string theory's worst nightmare is that students wake up and realize that string theory is bullshit and work on other stuff and they don't get the bright students anymore. Yeah. So, so how would you, so say, say it turns out, say you do this quantum gravity thing, right? And you know, the equations work out, they sync up, you're able to prove it, you submit it to a journal. Um, it comes out right. No, I I I just make it publicly available on the archive. Okay. I'm not I'm not on any career ladder, so I don't need to publish in journals. Okay. So so how do you get other people? Is what I'm saying is like uh, I'll just give an, an analogy, and I'm not saying it's correct, but it's just it's an analogy that makes sense to me. So like I have diabetes, right? Uh, and I go to I go to the. Uh, uh, endocrinologist and they give me a particular diet because the science says this is what you should do yes right and i do that it doesn't work and i start reading online i figured out that like if i put my body in keto it's like the perfect diet for reversing diabetes that's so, right so i start doing that uh it's not scientifically accepted it's not accepted by the medical field 
and they're actually telling me that it's bad for me and I shouldn't do it, although it's solving the problem. Um, now, I'm clearly fixing the problem, yet they're not going to change their mind because they believe whatever it is they believe. Yeah, the biggest problem, I mean, I, I love science. Yeah. I really do. But man, is it slow. <laughs> yeah, so... It's really slow. So I, I think you're right. I think uh, a ketogenic diet is a, a wonderful way to uh, start working on just curing diabetes yourself yeah. uh, without medications. And it's uh, it's very effective because you're you're basically transitioning your body from burning glucose and you know dealing with sugar at all to to burning fat and you know converting fat into ketones. And I think that's a it's a fantastic way to go. It's also it's also a fantastic weight loss program for anybody who wants to lose weight. Yeah, I lost like forty pounds on it. Yeah, it's amazing. So I've I've been I've been doing a ketogenic diet for the last six months or so, and I uh, had similar results. And I'm I'm not even diabetic. Oh yeah. I just think it's a, a fantastic thing. That's definitely the way to go. And your mind's steadier, and all or mine is, you know, and all that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's basically a, a great hack on your own body. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, so bringing it back to the the, the physics. Um, I mean, to, to under, even to understand your model, right, to sit down and understand it, it's going to take uh, probably months of going through equations and, you know what I'm saying? Like it's going to take some time and a serious investment. Right. You have to build up to understand the, the usual description of particle physics first and gravity. Yeah. And then once you, once you can understand the usual description of particle physics, including the application of Lie groups in that description – then, then you can start looking at uh, the work I've done and think about where to go from there. Okay, so do you do you have a plan to show that to the, you know, because there's some people at that level. Um, well, I've spent, I have spent some of my time as a teacher, and I do enjoy writing about stuff. Um, but right now, I, I feel like I'm still exploring. So I'm, I'm, I'm more in the exploratory phase than I am in the teaching it to other people phase. Okay, but if I find uh, if I find more really cool stuff, then I, I won't have any choice but to write a book or you know go around lecturing uh, more often. There you go. So, yeah. um, so if you if 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 you were to give, so what's your best advice to a young want to be someone who wants to be a theoretical physicist uh, and attempting to get into theoretical physicist, uh, physics? Um, probably, uh, don't necessarily follow the crowd. So there's a lot of pressure in theoretical physics to, to concentrate on what's popular, right? And, and you can make a name for yourself by working on popular problems, but there's already so much attention on the popular problems that you're probably not going to get anywhere. So if you really want to find new stuff, you're better off looking where nobody else is looking. Or we're, or maybe we're just a few people are looking. Okay, and uh, what would be your overall message to folks, uh, like anyone listening, that you'd want them to get from your research? Oh wow. Um, well, there, there's there's like advice for life, and then there's you know it, what I found in physics. And now what I found in physics is that. Uh, I think our universe is unusually mathematically pretty. Right? I think our, our universe literally is a beautiful bit of mathematics come to life. Now, for advice for life, um, I mean, it's sort of what path, what sort of path, and what sort of human you wanna you wanna be. I mean, if you wanna be part of the herd, then you know, go with conventional living and do what other people are doing and have fun. But if you want to have a life that's a little bit different and maybe find something that nobody else has, then, yeah, don't, don't pay attention to the herd. Pay attention to what interests you and chase that down. And that, I, I find that uh, to be very fulfilling. Um, it can also be a little bit isolating. So while you're doing that, you also want to you know, cultivate good friendships, good relationships, and, uh, and have that uh, holding your life up because tackling hard problems that other people aren't very interested in. It's very hard and frustrating. 
So you want to make sure the rest of your life is good if you're doing that. Okay. Yeah, and you've and you know I've listened to a few interviews with you, and you, you surf and spend a lot of time out in nature. Obviously, I can hear the birds chirping in the background. There. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> not sure. Not sure what that is. That's, yeah, right. Right not, on cue. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an East Tennessee bird. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, but, uh, that's a minor bird. Okay. It's, it's, uh, what's he look like? Is he like a? Oh, they're, they're quite sartorial with their sort of black outfit, feathers with a couple of stripes by their eyes, and uh, and white stripes under their wings. They're they're, they're pretty, okay. and they've got attitude. They <laughs> yeah, sound like it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so, uh, so you you you've cultivated some sort of you're, you're big into balance. And... Yeah, I really am. I mean, it's it's really the best way to be happy in life. Is you want to balance, you know, a decent amount of physical exercise, which keeps your body and your mind happy. Um, you want to have good, good friendships, good relationships, um, not just through your computer. And uh, and then also be tackling, you know, some intellectually challenging and productive problem. Okay. So you want to you want to keep all those things going at once if you can. But if one's not going well, you always have the other two. <laughs> All right. So, uh, with that in mind, like when you're surfing or when you're practicing, uh, when you're working on, uh, your theory or trying to visualize, I don't know if you need to visualize higher dimensional spaces or, uh, things like that. Do you, in any part of your life, not just necessarily those two examples, but do you have expanded states of awareness and what, what that would kind of mean to you? Well, I have a fairly conventional, but perhaps unusually sharp sense of awareness. I have, uh, if I have any intellectual superpowers, it's focus. I can naturally hold focus on something for an unusual amount of time. So I haven't, I've never found it necessary to, to take, you know, nootropics, to take drugs that improve the functioning of my mind. I also haven't ever taken LSD or anything mind-expanding in that sense. Um, For mind-expanding experiences, I have mind-expanding natural experiences, or I I go to Burning Man and take in the art and all the wild costumes and all the fun going on. But I I don't need drugs to help uh, trigger my mind into some weird state to do that. And I think when people do uh, take such drugs, um, the experience of it, is as if they're dancing in other dimensions, right? It's like you're you have this consciousness of other dimensions, or there's this big geometric symmetrical object, or a tunnel in front of you. But it turns out that's just the, what our mind does when it's stressed out on weird chemicals. Okay. Yeah. And and I think, but I think some of those chemicals are naturally in our body. You know. Yeah. Like, and and I think you can come across them naturally, and I think people have those experiences uh, you know i'm not trying to lay philosophy down or anything but like uh you know and you have those experiences and the myth whatever myth is it that, that you that you know right like if you're a christian you have a christian myth or if you're a hindu you have a hindu myth and then you your brain kind of uses that right to create that myth um so that's a whole other thing but like uh so have you had those types of experiences not you know with a myth involved but um well i'm a i'm a capitalist religiously so when i meditate i just see money <laughs> okay i don't know if that happens to other people but you just you just no, um, in dollar bills <laughs> i'm totally joking uh a, yeah no I, i've meditated in the past and it's it's wonderful for clearing the mind okay and uh for sort of bring oneself more peace. But I, I got to the point where I'm like, all right, I've got inner peace. Now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I decided to go and surf and play and, you know, cultivate good relationships and, and spend my intellectual horsepower working on problems in theoretical physics. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how I got here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would think I would think it would be for me at least, you know, when I did math it was very could become very distracting and stressful and meditation or clearing my mind some way helped. 
uh, you know, I'm sure. Well, it's frustrating more than anything. Yeah. If you're if you're trying to work on some mathematical problem and you know it's supposed to work out, but it's not working out right, that's more frustrating than anything. So you basically want to go do something else intense for a little while and then come back to it and have a look at it with fresh eyes. Uh, so that's kind of what the surfing is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's also just really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I could do it, I would. <laughs> I tried it yeah. one time and ate it hard. Uh, uh, try a bigger board. <laughs> <laughs> If you're, yeah. bigger, if you're a bigger person, use a bigger boy. Yeah. That's, well, it was, it was when I was about 12 or so out in Carlsbad, so it was, yeah. yeah. But the, yeah uh, I learned down the coast in Encinitas, not far from there. Okay, yeah. It's uh, a sport I would like to get into or would have liked to have gotten into. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun. It's not too late. Or you could always try kite surfing. You know, kite surfing, you've got this kite pulling you up into the sky, so you're weightless. You don't weigh anything. There you go. It'd be hard for me to stick to the board with the legs and all. I got. Well, you've got straps. You can strap yourself to the board. I'm looking for excuses why I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any good excuses. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah. I've got a friend who's paralyzed who manages to go out and kite surf. If he can do it, you can do it. <laughs> oh, I had to pull the the paralyzed guy on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I would try it. It's uh. Yeah, I got a, a a math problem that I need to finish solving that I never finish. That yeah, well, that'll help. The kite surfing will definitely help with that. Yeah, find that balance. It's uh, folding the Serpensky tetrahedron. I don't know if you like huh. a little fractal folding it from two D up to three D. So like, no one's ever really folded a fractal from two to three. Oh, that's interesting. No, I'm I'm familiar with the Serpensky triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the 3D version of that thing. Yeah. Ah, interesting. And cool. So, yeah, I'll tell you more about it. Um, the uh, so uh, just one final question. Uh, sure. Is so one question. Okay, so string theory is over here. Your theory is in Lie groups. Um, is there a way that those two? Uh, could both be correct or both be wrong or there's some bigger picture like the analogy i'm thinking of here is i don't know if you've ever heard it is the it's like an old indian analogy or something and it's like like 11 blind guys are touching an elephant right uh, and they're i'm sure i'm just hacking the analogy but uh you know, one guy touches it and he's like, it's round and it feels like a big shell. And the other guy's like, it's a big floppy thing, you know, and then yep. they're just a bunch Well, there, of- there's so many string theorists using so many different branches of mathematics to build string models and uh, branches off of string models. And it's such a flexible toolkit that whatever it is I find, if it is successful, um, a bunch of string theorists will warp what they're doing to match mine and say it's the same thing. But it won't be. <laughs> okay well i mean yeah the string like i've tried to understand the string a bit and it's like it just it almost just sounds like we couldn't figure out what it was so we just said it's a vibrating string and it vibrates <laughs> it's, it's not that it's not that bad <laughs> but but it's string theory is a toolkit for building theories the problem is the the only theory they haven't been able to match is our world okay so they, there are some restrictions on what you can build, and it turns out building the world that we see is is almost impossible for them. They really have to bend over backwards to try to do it. It's not natural within string theory to, to build our universe, which you would think would be more discouraging to them than it is, but I don't know. They're so full of what they're doing that's not. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's a problem that, I, that I've come across is it gets to the point to where you're past mathematics and science and you're into essentially some sort of fantasy world right like it's it really is it really that that's really where it is <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's like it's hard yeah. it's hard to tell who's claiming what and what's real and what's just made yeah. up and and certainly the degree to which uh, both my work and strength theory match up to the standard model uh, to the degree with it which they both match up they have to overlap okay. so they have they have to overlap with what's actually experimentally tested and known Okay, so, um, yeah, so I'm going to probably end the interview here. Uh, the um, 
So you have the, it's the Pacific Institute in Hawaii? Uh, Pacific Science Institute. Pacific Science Institute. And so folks yeah. who are working on open problems or who, who can come to it or uh, that type of thing. Um, who's it open to? Um, who's it not open to? It's, it's, I mean, since it's, it's basically my house at this point, right? I do have, uh, I did, I did recently acquire a larger piece of land that I'm going to build something larger on. So for this point, I want to say it's for, you know, architects, home builders. <laughs> Anybody can help build. <laughs> yeah. Somebody wants to help me build a big house. Contractors. A big piece of land. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, 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 it's always been my friends and other uh, scientists coming coming to visit for the past few years. Okay. And if people want to find out more about you, they can. Your website is. Uh, it's it's a really long URL. It's li.si. Li.si.com. No, there's no .com. It's there's just no, li.si. Yeah, I noticed that. Okay, so li.si, and yeah, and do you have that particle accel uh, not accelerator. Uh, like the manipulator, the JavaScript thing the on there still. It's a elementary particle explorer. Okay. And yeah, and that'll that'll help you uh, see how the known elementary particles are part of the E8 Lie group. Okay. Yeah, it's quite it's quite fun to play with, and you can make uh, little animations by rotating things around different dimensions. It's fun. Yeah, it's really cool. I played with it for way too long, <laughs> and then built a, a zone model on the there you go. the virtual zone model. You know. So I can figure out oh, yeah. how many parts I need to order and everything. Yeah, great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to end the interview there. Thank you very much, Garrett, um, for talking with me. Yeah, sure. Good talking with you, Barrett. Thank you. And uh, so this is Barrett Leslie with Ball Links, and have a good one.